Welcome back to another episode of the Final Frontier Podcast. Bill and I decided to take the week off, so today we have a special episode for you to listen to. Members from an improv group called Improvised Star Trek have agreed to answer a few questions. Please enjoy. Um, all right, I think we are ready to start. Oh, Did you pull yeah. up the question? I have the questions in front of me. First of all, um, uh, I think we should all maybe take a quick moment to introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm Chris Rathjen. Uh, I play a number of roles, uh, primarily Corbomite Hayes, first officer of the USS Sisyphus, and I am an editor and producer for Improvised Star Trek. I am Mary-Kate Walthall. I play Dr. Zarlene Zonelson and also Ensign Operator. My name is Julia Weiss, and I play Lieutenant Rita King and also Ensign Spot. Love that little kitty. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and we want to thank the Final Frontier podcast for asking us to talk about improvised Star Trek today. Yeah, because the only thing we love more than doing improvised Star Trek is talking about improvised Star Trek. I also really like nachos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have here a list of questions that uh, Adam sent, uh, and I'm going to share them with us. And we can just answer as we go. Perfect. Uh, Question one, how did you first get into Star Trek? I first got into Star Trek um, because my a friend of mine, we were working at Groupon. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, we were working at Groupon, and basically and when I worked at Groupon and customer service, what that job entailed was watching Netflix and occasionally answering <laughs> customer support emails. And my friend Christina Felsky was like, oh, I've been watching Star Trek. I really think you'd like it. And I was like, I think I do like it. My dad and my brother would watch it, but I was not invited. Um, And so then I watched all of uh, the original series. And I would, like, take a lot of screenshots and post them on the Internet. And then Star Trek friends would be like, so glad you're getting into this. You got to keep going. Watch Next Generation. Then I got super into that. And um, now I, it, Star Trek is like my security blanket. I watch it when I'm sad or anxious or can't sleep or want to watch Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so funny, my story also involves someone named Christina. Uh, I, I watched Star Trek as a kid with my dad. And so we would watch, we would watch it like the live broadcasts when they would come on, especially of Deep Space Nine. And for... Uh, and then reruns of Next Generation. And I got like the next gen action figures. And I loved, like when I would play dolls with my friend, Christina Straple, we would play with the Star Trek action figures. And she always wanted to be Deanna Troy. And I would be like kind of jealous because Deanna Troy had like two of the little dude action figures <laughs> trying to get her. But I was like, I wanted to be a doctor, actually. I, so I was often Beverly Crusher. Because apparently I didn't have the imagination to be one of the male characters. <laughs> uh, I did not know that you would play as Beverly Crusher. That's wonderful. That. <laughs> um, yeah, I also started watching it as a kid. Um, I would watch old... Uh, I would see 
old episodes of the original series, uh, and my my dad would sometimes watch it, um, and I would watch it with him. Uh, but when the next gen rolled around, uh, is when I really kind of started watching it on my own. Um, but because uh, Next Gen was a great show, that is also a show that like the whole family would also sometimes watch together. So I would never miss an episode. But it is a thing that like. You know, my mom and my dad and my sister would join me in. Uh, so that was always, always very nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I kept watching through Deep Space Nine. And then I sort of fell out of it when I went to college. And then I went back and caught up on the newer series when I started doing Improvised Star Trek. Nice. I... Not having watched it as a kid, what's wild is that I still, I knew all the characters as a kid. I don't know, like, if it was just because I would catch it when it was on, I was somehow, like, drawn to it. I, when I was in first grade, I broke my pinky finger. I slammed it in a car door on my first day. Nope, second grade. I'm so sorry. First day of second grade, slammed my pinky in a car door. And I was so happy because I could, like, do the, like, Vulcan, like, (laughs) I, which I later also learned it was actually from Judaism, so maybe that was just like ingrained in me as well. But yeah. Um, well, this might lead into the next question. Uh, what's your favorite series or film? Ooh. Oh, that's hard. I'll, I'll go first on okay. this one. Um, I, I think my favorite is just TNG, just because it's the one I grew up with. It's the one that like I, I soaked in. Um, but uh, I did start watching DS9 uh, when it first came out before I, I fell out of the habit. And having gone back, it's like one of those ones where I look at that and it's like, oh, this is clearly like better television. This is like really good TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my nostalgic favorite is TNG and my uh, critical favorite is Deep Space Nine. I think same. I think, yeah. I lo- the characters of TNG are the ones that I think of the most when I think of Star Trek but then Deep Space Nine like the the arc I think is really satisfying really interesting I have a hard time with Deep Space Nine as you know because of Odo's face (laughs) (laughs) like and I'm ashamed of this I have a very hard time watching it because of his face and I feel bad about that but I, I I think I I think that for me it really depends on like the my like the mood I'm in the emotional state and like what I'm seeking from the trek and I think that each trek offers something different for me except for enterprise which offers nothing (laughs) (laughs) um all right uh question three have you been watching discovery no I haven't, but it's just because I don't have any real TV. Yeah. Uh, I have been watching Discovery. I'm a few episodes behind, um, but I am enjoying the second season. I, I really liked the uh, the episode, An Obol for Charon. Um, that's my favorite one of the series so far. So. Cool. How do you watch it if you don't have channels, like, um, or if you don't have like, a, if you don't have like cable that lets you sign in? We uh, we pay for CBS All Access okay, in my so house. I, gosh, I gotta pay for another another thing. Oh, I, I, I know you like can watch. First... I think you can still watch uh, the pilot for the se- second season on um, on Netflix. Sorry, on YouTube right now. Oh, because oh. I did watch the first two episodes. 
and it, I really like um, the guy who is Prey. Oh, yeah, Saru. Yeah, Saru. Oh, he's absolutely one of, well, yeah, I think he might be my favorite part. He's one of those Star Trek aliens that is almost more empathetic than, than the humans. Oh, cool. And that mm. actor is the uh, is Shape of Water guy. I still haven't seen Shape of Water. And he's in a bunch of just other Gamro. I've Del only Toro. seen the sex scene from Shape of Water, <laughs> which I did seek out. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, that's Doug Jones. <laughs> yes, Doug Jones. God, yeah. he's so good. Yeah. I watched uh, Hellboy yesterday when I was sick, and uh, he's great in it. Also, I've not seen Hellboy. He's another fish man, although uh, a more chaste one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, here's a big one. Uh, what is improvised Star Trek? Whoa. <clears throat> that. Wow, that's a big question. Um, I, uh, the the simple answer is that it is a podcast, a narrative series um, that takes place on its own ship with its own crew, uh, you know, journeying through space, seeking out new life and new civilizations, but getting into some wacky adventures <laughs> along the way. <laughs> it's like answering that question, you know, Star Trek, all of the television series seem to follow ships that are you know, like at the top of the fleet. And it's like, what about all the other ships? What about the ships that are doing just okay, if not on the verge of being decommissioned? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and take a step back in case there's anyone who doesn't know at all. Um, oh. Uh, we are, uh, so Improvised Star Trek started, every, everyone you're listening to right now uh, is a Chicago improviser, um, and starting in 2009, uh, we started doing a live Star Trek-themed show at the IO Theater in Chicago, and after a pretty good run there, we decided to take it to a podcast uh, by, by the logic that there are more fans of what we do than uh, will necessarily come out to a, a midnight show at a theater in Chicago in the dead of winter. Um, and we have been going seven years now as a podcast. Our, our first podcast episode was in 2011, May 2011. Um, eight years almost. Oh, yeah. That is eight. Yeah, that's it's almost 2019. Eight. Dang. The last year on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and so yeah, so we are all part, we're all crew of the USS Sisyphus, and we, every week we get uh, title suggestions from our listeners via Twitter or Facebook, and then we just improvise a complete 20 to 30 minute uh, adventure uh, based on that suggestion, playing with uh, the tropes of Star Trek and other sci-fi, and really leaning into the recurring characters we have, because you know, like a Star Trek show, it's got an ensemble cast. And, um, and yeah, and then we take uh, the best of those that we improvise and we uh, edit them and put on sound effects and music cues and send them out into the world as, uh, as episodes. And we're over 200 uh, episodes of Improvised Star Trek now. The longest running Star Trek series. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the year we actually, uh, so we do line up with uh, continuity uh, around the time of Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And this was going to be the year where we became the furthest flung Star Trek series in the future, because this is the year that Nemesis happens. 
but then they announced the Picard show. So now we're going to have to do uh, improvised Star Trek another 20 years if we want to be the farthest Star Trek show in the future. Yeah. I've, I've got no plans. <laughs> I'm a, I do have a concern that, like, what if stuff that we improvise in our show, we got to, like, go back and retcon uh, based on what happens in the new Picard show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we've done, like, a pretty good job of... I mean, our, our ship is not usually called into the big important fights. True. So, So during the period of time where the Dominion War was in theory happening, we would occasionally reference it. And, you know, when we talked about random ships attacking us, we switched to saying they were Jem'Hadar ships. (laughs) But we actually didn't get too involved in the plots. True. True. Okay, so the question now is uh, question six. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with Improvised Star Trek? Uh, So the I'll start because I was the first one to get in the loop. Um... Griffin Eckstein was uh, the Chicago improviser who wanted to put together the Star Trek-themed show. Uh, And it was kind of to fill a midnight slot at the I.O. Theater, which is kind of a gamey, creature-feature kind of uh, fun-themed show often. Uh, And he was putting together group of funny improvisers who also knew their their sci-fi. And I was on a other, another non-themed team with him, and I correct his corrected his chronology of the future when he made a star trek joke and the next day i got invited to join improvised star (laughs) trek before it started and then when we switched to a podcast um uh, nick wagner was the cast member who kind of uh worked out how it would work as a podcast and he and i uh, had worked together in editing projects before so i got uh i was also had a hand in figuring out how we would turn this into a uh into an audio product so uh, so that happened. Yeah. Um, and then we would have, we had the podcast run for a while, and then that actually got us invited back to do another run of live shows, which I think is when my part of the story gets handed off. Uh, well, I, I used to work downtown at Northwestern University for the medical school. And Joe Phillips, who was on the podcast he was the ship's counselor and he was also in the original live run Uh, he played jaffe uh he also worked downtown and there was like this downtown lunch group and at one of those lunches i think he mentioned he was on improvised star trek and i started talking about how much i loved star trek and he was like you should come and be a guest on the podcast and that was right about when he was moving to denver he was like they might be looking for new cast members so I did a little guest on the podcast, and... You were a hungry antimatter cloud. That's right. <laughs> and then I was uh, uh, fully accepted into the fold um, as Dr. Zarlene Zonaldson in my first episode as a cast member. Um, when I was first getting into Star Trek, and I was posting all of these, like, screen grabs of episodes with like little comments like people would be like oh are you familiar with improvised star trek you should uh check them out and um as my my love of like what i i've 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 long been like maybe too active on social media and so my love of star trek was like very much out there and um being an improviser who loves star trek uh, I got invited to like do a, a guest 
spot on the show um, where I played the Romulan former lover of Captain Baxter. We have a we have a son. I can't remember his name. Uh, Duty. Duty. <laughs> that sounds right. Um, and I oh, I remember being so nervous, but had a lot of fun. And then um, not too long after that, I got asked to to join the the cast. Um, and in my first episode as a cast member, I played Lieutenant Rita King. And at the end of that episode, I think it was the first one, she got like turned into a pile of hoagies. <laughs> um, but I then just was back <laughs> and continued on. I don't think I don't know if we ever reconciled how she got dehoagied. I mean, something still... must have happened in the intervening weeks. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe she's maybe like it's maybe she's been a pile of hoagies this whole, the time, whole time and people just haven't called it out. Honestly, the fact that she can like still get it as a pile of hoagies is truly goals to me. <laughs> um, all right. Well, one more and then I think we'll we'll pause here real quick. Uh, but the, just the simple question, uh, how long have you been a member of Improvised Star Trek? Uh, so uh, being part of the original run, uh, that was in 2009 at I.O., so I have been doing this for a decade now. Yeah, I think I've been doing it for seven years, about. I don't have a sense of time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little less than seven years? Pro- a little less, maybe five, six, maybe five or six? No, five. I think more than that, because there's that photo where I have the white hair, and oh, I had yeah. that in like 2012, 2013. You know what, and like I, yeah, and I went on my cruise ship in 2014, um, and that was a job, it wasn't a vacation, <laughs> it sounded like I was just bragging about going on a cruise, <laughs> um, but instead I'm bragging about having worked on one, <laughs> um, but oh gosh, so yeah, seven. I think we're seven, roughly six, the same six time. And a half, seven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question number eight: Where do you perform? A everywhere. <laughs> um, no, I perform at the Annoyance Theater. Are they, I'm wondering if this question is like you as an improvised Star Trek or well, let's do both. First, okay, I'll, I'll you go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'll just first say um, so. Improvised Star Trek uh, has not. Uh, has at various points performed at various venues around the city. We started out at Improv Olympic. Um, we have since uh, done shows at, uh, well, we've done shows all around the city of Chicago. We have uh, toured a bit. Um, I think most frequently now we play at the Cards Against Humanities Theater, uh, which is also the same building where we record our podcast. And uh, our next scheduled performance is at C2E2. So if uh, any of the listeners here will find themselves at C2E2, check the schedule. And we'll be doing a live performance of the podcast at the... Is it called the Cards Against Humanity stage? or? Um, I can't remember what we're calling it. It might be like the Cards Against Humanity comedy place. Great. Or something like that. Um, but it'll. I think that we have... Um, paid for big banners. Oh, great. So if you're at C2E2, look up and you'll see some instructions on where to see improvised Star Trek perform. There's And there's lots of there's lots of great comedy um, live podcast reporting recordings and panels in the room all day, all the days. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, so aside from special events like that, though, we don't really do we don't have a regularly scheduled live performance anymore. But all of us uh, perform around the city in other capacities. Um, I perform uh, at uh, at the I.O. Theater still regularly. I perform at the Annoyance Theater on Tuesday nights with a group called Superhuman. Um, I I'm a regular contributor to a show called Paper Machete, which is every Saturday at 3 p.m. at the Green Mill. Um, If you want to go to that, um, go early because it has been starting to get real, real crowded. Um, And I perform occasionally at the IO Theater as well. Yeah. All right. Um, Question nine. Do you each have a job that you do to prepare and perform on stage? like like a like a ritual I think that's the question yeah um not really anymore I I definitely like when I was first doing improv would was like I would I would often walk to um the theater where I was performing because I deliberately lived close to IO which is what a lot of a lot of people did at at the time um and i would like walk there and have like this is an embarrassing thing i've never admitted that i would do like i would have like improv scenes in my head <laughs> um and like uh with the people on the team that i was going to play with i guess i still sometimes have a little bit of that but it wasn't really and then i would just like be like wow i'm walking to do theater in chicago i've really made it mm-hmm. Um, so that was the closest thing to like a pre-show ritual I ever had. When we do live shows, we do, we usually do like a little warm-up game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we, it's called three things. Do we do five things? Uh, it, depends, it depends, but depends. yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so we give each other prompts. Uh, we'll be like, Chris, uh, five things that Corbamite Hayes eats for dessert. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then I'll come up with, uh, like, Andorian flan. And one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we say the number after each one. We say the number after each one. Yeah. I, so so yeah. that's, like, a longstanding uh, kind of improv warm-up. And I think uh, through the years we've, you know, when we would do live performances, we would do different warm-ups. And somewhere along the way, we stumbled upon that one as a great way to kind of uh, put ourselves in the mind state of our characters who... Mm-hmm you know, have their own backstory 360 years in the future mm-hmm. um, and to remind ourselves what makes them tick. Yeah. yeah. And then I think for me, before any improv show, the most important thing is just checking in with the other people that I'm going to perform with and seeing how people are doing and building that, building relationships and trust so that we can just play. Yeah. So it's always fun before shows to like have a conversation with the people that you're going to play with. And then like, it's interesting to see how those things like manifest on stage. Yeah. Agree. Um, so I think that leads into the next question. Uh, question 10, how long does it take to prepare a performance slash podcast or do you truly improvise Mm. everything? Uh, and then there's a a follow up question or do you have a general idea story outline that you're following? Pure improv, baby. Pure improv, baby. And then the the raw episode of improvisation goes to our team of editors, and they grab one and take a like they 
take it and clean it up and put the sounds in. Chris can explain that in real words. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah well, before I do that, uh, yeah, so the, the preparation of a podcast is um, just take deciding which of the uh, which of the performances we we have on recording that um, is our favorite that hasn't been produced yet. And uh, yeah, if there's any uh, stuff that didn't go anywhere, you, you, you might uh, trim out like two, three minutes of a, of a 25 minute uh, performance. Um, but mostly it's just uh, kind of finding ways to reinforce uh, what the performers were doing um, with you know, setting background ambient noise and uh, sound cues. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll be here in the recording studio and we'll say phaser, phaser. And, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the recording, we will swap those out with phaser sounds. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the performance, uh, the only thing we go in with is kind of the, the knowledge of our characters' backstory and, and uh, who they are, uh, which in and of itself is a, is a little unique for improv shows. That's more than most improv shows have. But uh, since we're you know trying to emulate the Star Trek model of an ensemble cast, we end up uh, having you know backstory and personality traits that, that carry over and accumulate over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's if we're talking about a different improv show that's not improvised Star Trek, there's really no preparation of any of the material that's going to happen on stage. It is all in the moment. And then improvised Star Trek, again, it's all in the moment. It's just that we're playing from a known context, yeah. which is the world of Star Trek and our characters. Which is shockingly challenging. Like when, when Before I was on improvised Star Trek, um, Matt Young, who plays Captain Julius Valentine Baxter, was my improv coach, and as an experience, as an experiment in our rehearsals, had us put together like a, a cast. One, the first one was Butch Dads, where our team was <laughs> called Butch Max, and uh, I think it was called Butch Dads. I can't remember like the name, but we were like it was like a neighborhood of local parents. Um, and we would have to like improvise within these characters that we established every week. And it was really hard for all of us. It was so hard. Um, so it's like remarkably challenging to improvise from a, a place of like shared knowledge, but then you get used to it and it's fun. Yeah, I, I think the most, uh, the most we would ever do in addition to that is uh, sometimes if we are taking a, a suggestion that is a reference to an existing Star Trek mm. episode, we might uh, just take a quick second for everyone to remember the broad strokes of what that episode was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll be like, oh, that's the one where it was a Greek god that captured the ship. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like one that references like a specific like alien or something, and mm-hmm. people could be like, wait, remind me of what they are What's like. What's the deal with the brain? Yeah. What's the deal yeah. with the brain? <laughs> And then when we have when we have people guest on the show, we like to give them the option of like, you know, what kind of character do you want to play? What character do you want to play? And so when they say that, usually it comes along with like, okay, so then they've said what kind of character they want to play. And then for me, at least, as soon as they said that, my mind just instantly starts trying to think of like, okay, how, why is this person? Mm-hmm. Why are we coming into contact with this person? What's going on? How does this work? Yeah. You can't plan anything because... I mean, you, it wouldn't be improv, but also you can't be inside of everyone else's head. People yeah. are going to be contributing what they think as well. That does make me think of like we, can, we have guests on who have all levels of Star Trek knowledge. Um, and so if someone comes in and they have literally no knowledge, uh, they're just like, I want to play a life coach type. Like we can, that can fit into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 
if you're uh, if you have an entirely different idea about how uh, what sci-fi space physics work or or how that works, that's just how your planet works, and we're the ones encountering your mm-hmm. planet that week, mm-hmm. and so we have to learn and follow your rules. Yeah. Uh, number eleven. Do you have a favorite memory of improvised Star Trek on stage or recording the podcast? I I have like I have a hard time remembering improv in general, but I remember um, when Eli first did a live show. The first time he guest starred. I think I played his child, or like I was like an orphan or something. I go through phases where I just want to play like vulnerable children. <laughs> um, and I die, and Eli, who. He was a godlike being. He I was think. a god, and he like scooped me up <laughs> and like carried me off stage. And like generally, I hate, like I still. Any any girl who's ever been in middle school, like may, I think, has this reaction to being picked up of like suddenly, like tensing up and being terrified of like what is this person going to think of my mass? <laughs> and um, I had like a brief moment of that, and then just like felt fully free and safe <laughs> in the arms of Eli Mandel, and it was so delightful. I love him. Um, if I can say, I do remember that episode, and that was another great one where it played out uh, exactly like a real Star Trek episode. We were captured by a godlike being, and we had a B-plot where there was a kid who was orphaned because his parents had been killed. And the end of the solu- the solution at the end was to put the two of them together and let the uh, godlike being raise the child. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I didn't die. I think he may have brought I- you back to life. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, there are a few I'm thinking about with the live show uh, when we first got when Dan Granada first had us using Wiimotes to yeah. as phaser sound effects to have those on stage and then also putting up uh, iPod touches and, and iPhones backstage to have sound effect buttons that we could use backstage just that being such a revelation and so exciting and him doing the live sound effects it, I just being so um thrilled mm-hmm. at that um then another one from recording was also those early days with Eli when he was like uh he came on the show while I was gone in London and then when I came back and there was that like fun sort of tension and game between Zarlene and Rip just having so much fun playing that mm-hmm. and then also those episodes where things just come together Sort of like what you were mentioning where mm-hmm. where it just like blows our own mind that things went that well or we're having so much fun. Like I'm thinking of the, the mind prison inside of mind prison <laughs> yes. episode. When um, we find a game yeah. and everyone, it's like that electric improv thing where your minds really do like you know exactly what the game is and you can really predict like what and uh, and everyone gets so excited about playing that same game. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, that that episode, uh, like literally forever. That's one of the ones. Some, sometimes we're in a recording, and uh, you know we're often very uh, feeling good about what we're doing. But sometimes you realize you're pitching a perfect game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just uh, the excitement and like the slow tension that builds in the room where everyone starts to wonder, like, are we going to land this? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, absolutely perfectly. And occasionally we do, and it is so fun. 
Another thing I like that I think of a lot when I like whenever we do a live show and we have like the the credits, there's I don't want to spoil it, but there's like a little joke built into the credits that like um, every time the audience like gets so delighted and laughs at. And when um, my the first time I got to do a live run at the old IO theater, we're we're backstage. And so we can't like see it, um, but you know exactly where it hits, and you hear the audience laugh. And I just like remember the feeling of being so excited to get to do this show, and hearing the audience laugh at that always like give such a lovely like positive energy boost right before we go on stage. And every time we do the live show now, like I have that like really clear sense memory to that feeling of like just like excitement and gratitude for getting to do the show. And it reminds me of that feeling like all those years ago. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe we should go ahead and take a quick moment to uh, explain a little about the, the live show experience because mm. I don't think we have. But um, as I said, it started as a live show and then it became a podcast and then we started doing runs of a live show again. And one of the things that I think has been great is that the podcast has informed how the live show works. So uh, we've now got uh, a producer by the name of Dan Granada who does the sort of work in the live show that we do for our podcast. He uh, handles all of like the ambient noise. He handles the sound effects live. Um, and so we've got these effects that are happening. And it really, I think, adds a level of it really, really gives the Trek feel to the live mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Also, just thinking about how much fun Griffin Eckstein has in those live shows. I feel like of all of us was is the one who's most likely to like put on a crazy costume and come out and do something real funky. Yeah, oh, I I I miss Lackey and mm -hmm. I miss like the relationship that like Rita and Lackey developed <laughs> during the live run. Oh. Cast members passed. We love yeah. <clears throat> May his memory be a blessing. He's still alive. He's but. still alive, but his memory is a blessing. Uh, question 12. Have you been a part of any other Star Trek productions, like a fan film or other podcast audio drama? No. No. Uh, Mary-Kate, I know you're wrong because you have done the same one I have. We have both oh, wait. been in the Klingon Christmas Carol. Oh, that's right. I lied. I totally lied. That's so right. I forgot about it. Um, yeah, so in the city of Chicago, uh, I know, I think it started in Minneapolis, but for many years, uh, a live show of a Klingon Christmas Carol was performed here um, by a theater company called uh, uh, Comedy Beauregard. Theater Beauregard. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they had a complete translation of uh, Dickens' A Christmas Carol into Klingon. And very smart marketing on their part. They had like a cameo slot that they would leave open so that they could have people in uh, just to, to be part of the experience and to kind of help cr cross promote. And the role is uh, the spouse of Fezziwig. Um, and I've been told it's important that, that uh, the term is not gendered in Klingon, so it can be whoever. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's basically, it's, you know, in Dickens, it's Mrs. Fezziwig. Um, and in, uh, in a Klingon Christmas Carol, it is Fezziwig's beloved. <laughs> um, and you have a, a one line you learn and you yell at, the, at, the, at Fezziwig's party, which uh, 
in the Klingon version includes a lot of dueling. <laughs> um, and so that was great to go. And we, we ended up working with them on various projects, um, obviously because they share some interest with us. Uh, but it was great to go and get in full Klingon makeup. That was the best part, is the makeup and the costume. It was like, oh, it's so cool to look in the mirror and have a Klingon forehead. Uh, I found it really difficult to learn the line in Klingon, though. I was like, oh, how do they do this? Yeah. It's very impressive what mm -hmm. they do. Thank you for reminding me. I can't yeah. believe I forgot. Where can people go to watch or listen to past performances and podcasts? Uh, we are on all of the, the podcast services, um, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. Um, we've got an RSS feed on our website. Castbox, Player FM. Yeah. Wow. If you go to our All website, <laughs> it's a very nice L Cars layout. Yes. Yeah. Again, Dan Granada. Yeah. Dan Granada, multi talented, also a phenomenal actor. Yes. Uh, if you get the chance to see him in a show in Chicago, <laughs> truly a Dan of all trades. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, the last question that you'll probably want to get in on before you have to go, Julia, is. 14, anything else you would like to discuss that is related to Star Trek and your group? Um, a thing that for me is why I fell in love with Star Trek is that like even in the original series for how like problematic some of the stuff is, there's always like this value of, of showing a future that is better than the present in which the Star Trek is made and um, the value of progress and making not only the world better, but the universe. And I think that um, that's a value that's really important to all of us as people. And a lot of times, like our conversations that we have like before recording or when we're out like having a beer or something after um, we've recorded, like center around like the importance of making a, a better world and I I think that that's something that like we try to like we try to bring those values into like I don't even know if we necessarily try to I think it just happens like innately and that's something that like I'm I really especially value yeah yeah I, I'm really resonating with what you said thinking about how there's a lot of media and television shows where it's like oh let's isn't it crazy and cool to watch this like violence or watching people like um basically uh you know mess with each other or what is it like being bad so to speak or it's just i really appreciate star trek as a show where one of the central dramas of the show is the personal like internal quest to live up to one's values of different characters and the growth that comes through like meeting every situation with the intention to live up to your values and it's not like oh it's perfect and these are perfect people um but it's like everybody continuing like even in the world of star trek they're continuing to aspire to create something better than what they currently have mm -hmm. yeah um yeah one of one of the things that i've uh learned while we've been doing this show over the years is like how actually broad base of support Star Trek had. And maybe it's because there wasn't like digital streaming back when TNG was out. But so many people, even people who don't like consider themselves sci-fi fans, ended up watching, uh, you know, large chunks of, of stuff from that era. Um, and it really is a, kind of a much broader 
cultural thing than it than you would guess just by looking at how focused marketing on on new stuff is uh it really has gotten like out there and into everyone's brains um i i think to the culture's benefit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and now we have 3d printing which is basically replicators basically yeah um well those were the ends of the that was the end of the questions there that's it guys um uh wanted to uh adam and bill thank you very much for uh for asking us to appear on your podcast and thank you for letting us make our uh schedule these interview questions ourselves it was very helpful yeah thank you and thank you for the questions themselves and the opportunity to talk about our show yeah and the opportunity to like think think about some of these things it was really nice to like stroll through what we love and what we like fond memories and get thoughtful about what we do that was a gift yes um, so, yeah, so if anyone wants to check out uh, Improvised Star Trek, we've got a website, www.theimprovisedstartrek.com. Uh, we're on all the podcast services. We've got over 200 episodes. Um, and if you're at C2E2, we'll be there in the flesh. See you there. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Thank you.